today. It's been two weeks since we looked at 1 Thessalonians. We're going to look at 2 Thessalonians today. And those of you that have been following along and reading along, you already know that. And by the way, I'm very impressed, very impressed with this church, with how many of you are reading the books ahead of time and also doing the 1189 program where you are reading the, the few chapters a day to get through the Bible on a schedule. It's, it's brilliant. I'm so, so proud of you. But 2 Thessalonians was written very shortly after 1 Thessalonians, perhaps within a couple of months. Paul was still in Corinth, but here was the situation. He'd written that first one saying, you're doing great. Just remember, we are sinners. Jesus is Lord. We are saved. Act like it. And, and, and you'll be fine. But then he got a second report that a few things had gone sideways, a bit wrong in Thessalonica, and he needed to write quickly to set it correctly. The first one was the persecution had begun, and it had ginned up quite a bit of, of despair and angst amongst the people. Here's the thing, and you need to know this. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you'll worry the devil. Sometimes, when all hell breaks loose, it's a sign you're doing the right thing. It's a sign you're on the right path because the devil is not going to be happy with you. I am sure the devil is not happy with Fourth Avenue. And I wish I could tell you, here's how he will attack us, but I must confess to you that even at my advanced age, I have never guessed correctly. He always surprises us. So just be aware, closer we get to Jesus, the more of a threat we're going to be to some of those things in the universe that don't like us. And so Paul's writing them to let them know, don't despair, don't give up, you're doing the right thing. And then there was another letter, the second thing, there was another letter circulating claiming it came from Paul. And it didn't. It's a forgery. And that letter was directing them to do things which Paul said, don't do those things. You need to learn how to differentiate between what Paul writes and what somebody else writes. Then three, and this is, we'll get to this one in a bit. So many people were so convinced that Jesus Christ is coming back any minute now that they'd quit work. They were just sitting around. What's the point? Do you remember several years ago when the world ended? Um, it was in all the papers. Uh, they, they were telling you, you know, it's going to end on this day. And it's a, you know, and, and there are people going, oh, how, you know, what are we going to do? And I even heard some people say, well, you may as well go buy what you want to because you won't have to pay it off. Really? Is that the Christian way of doing things? You don't have a responsibility anymore. And, and I'm aware sometimes, what? The sound? They can hear me? Is that the problem? It's crackling. You know, I sound like this. It's no the mic. Um, I feel like I'm a need to do a little number here. Um, but I won't, but I won't, because I love you. We don't, see, we don't have that urgency. It's hard for us to get the urgency of the first century church. They thought Jesus was going to be with them forever. He left. That really bothered them. So they were told he's coming back, and they thought that meant any second now. So why start? You know, oh, here's a book. Oh, it looks awful long. What's the point? I won't get through with it. Uh, it's a two-CD set. Oh, I don't have time. 
you know, uh, the Lord's coming back. And so and, but when I was a boy, does some of you remember that every sermon terrified you that Jesus was coming back right that minute? And sometimes the preachers would say, before the, the Lord could come back before this sermon ends. And I'm thinking, well, that's, you're increasing the odds, you know, by, there wouldn't be no any surprise. Uh, in fact, come Lord Jesus. Uh, um, <laughs> I was not the best seven-year-old to sit in the pew. We didn't have children's church because that was unscriptural. Uh, then, <laughs> we didn't have much. Uh, but anyway, moving on. So Paul, once again, says, first of all, you're doing good. You're doing good. You're new Christians, and you're doing good. You've learned the message of 1 Thessalonians. And he, and he puts it up in, in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. And the, love of all, the love all of you have for one another, notice it didn't say the love y'all, the love all of you have, for one another is increasing. Therefore, among your, God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. So, was Thessalonica in a mess? No, 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 no. They, Paul just didn't want them to get in a mess. And he saw that their danger was that they could get there if they kept going the direction that they were. But he bragged about him. He loved them. First of all, as he goes through 2 Thessalonians, he acknowledges their suffering. I learned how to listen years ago, back in shrink school. And uh, they also taught you how not to let your face move, which is pretty important. Uh, because whenever you, if you start making faces, they quit talking. By the way, did you know that's why Freud sat behind a person laying on a couch? It was because he couldn't control his facial expressions. And uh, the horror and the surprise. So he just sat out of sight. Um, but I, I learned how to listen. And sometimes I've, I've actually made people think I'm not paying attention because I'm looking at them. And when they're done, I don't just immediately go, uh-huh, now. No, I'm, I'm still processing. You said something. I want to hear it. It's, it I'm, I'm so grateful I was taught this because I learned from Paul as well. If somebody says I'm suffering... Listen and acknowledge it. Don't try to trump it. Don't try to get you know, another story in mind to, to tell your story. By the way, a little psychology there. Uh, if you've ever been to a party where they were telling a bunch of jokes, you thought, these are hilarious, I've got to remember them. And the next day you didn't. The main reason we don't remember them is because we're so busy trying to get a story of our own, we don't store the story we're receiving. And we're so busy trying to respond appropriately, we don't listen enough to store the story. So listen, and then respond. Paul listens, and he goes, I know you're suffering. It's awful. Now, you know, Paul could have said, what you're going through is nothing compared to what I've gone, but he didn't do that. He just said, I, I get that. Acknowledge it. And then he says, even in suffering, this is the big point, even in suffering, we're not excused from a life of love and redeemed behavior. That's who we are, even in hospital. That's who we are, even in prison. That's who we are, even around the table where we're being yelled at. We have a life of love and redeemed behavior, even then. 
the early church did not win over a whole lot of Roman soldiers and Roman uh, people in Caesar's household and such by their arguments. They won them by refusing to stop being Christian under pressure. And that signaled the Romans that something special was going on. He directs them to continue living as you are and don't get into, and he doesn't put it this way, don't get into revenge strategies or revenge fantasies. We tend to do that. Oh, you know, I'd like to see them get their come up. up. I'd like to see them really get what's coming to them. And I, you know, if I, he says, don't, don't even get into that. You stay faithful, even under persecution. Take a look at this passage, chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. All of this is evidence, that good stuff he said, that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are suffering or who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. Let God run the universe. If you don't watch out, you can spend all of your time saying, this isn't fair, this isn't right, this isn't the way this should go, we should change this, why is this going on? And he says, stop it. Your job is not to fix everything, your job is to love, live as redeemed people, and let God be responsible for the universe. How hard is that? How hard is it when every news show is trying to, to terrify you? Oh, look at this. This is awful. Whenever commercials try to terrify you with putting up drugs that you don't even know what they are or what they're for, but you might need them. Where they have to put initials for every single disease now so that you have initials to call out because that makes it real. Really? What are we afraid of? We don't need to be afraid. We just need to love. We're to live as sweet and pure as if there were no persecution. Now, how big a job is that? Take a look at this. Chapter 1 again, verses 11 and 12. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling. In other words, act like you belong to him. And that by his power, he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you and him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus. We am. Um, our behavior reflects upon our Lord. The way we treat people is the way people will think about Christians. Let's be honest. Christians don't have a very good reputation. If you ask the, the common person on the street, and you might not think so because you live in Middle Tennessee where there are a whole lot more church-going people. I've got news for you. There are more people in Middle Tennessee who never go to church than go to church. That may be a shock to you, but facts are facts. Why don't they go? 
Well, many of them think it's irrelevant and the like, but if you ask them, what do you think of Christians? I've seen so many man on the street interviews, and it's not good. So Paul tells them, you behave and redeem everything. You love in such a way that our reputation of Jesus Christ is elevated. That that's, we think, people think of us, they think of him. We, we act. You've heard me say this before. Be a person, not a pinball. The pinball goes through the machine just reacting to everything. Bounce, 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 because it reacts. Don't do that. Act. Don't react. Act. Choose. Think about who you're going to be. Live an intentional life and be a person, not a pinball. Yeah, they said that, but that doesn't mean we have to respond. Yeah, they did that to us, but that doesn't mean we have to be angry. We choose who we're going to be. Now, Paul knows more persecution's coming, so he tells them. And maybe because of some letter, the letter written by the imposter, uh, uh, let me back up. Maybe because of the letter written by the imposter that was claiming it was from Paul, they became confused in Thessalonica over what it meant for there to be the day of the Lord or the return of Christ. And so he tells them, it's going to get bad. There's going to be the man of lawlessness. Let me help you here. People have argued, who is that man of lawlessness? Was it, was it Nero? Uh, was it Justinian? Was it Hitler? Was it Gorbachev? You know, who, who was it? Oh, and yes, I heard it was, Gor there were people, I heard a sermon that the birthmark on Gorbachev's head was the mark of the beast. You know, sometimes you just want to go and sleep and, and just leave the room. <laughs> and yet, love them. Love them. When the Bible talks about the man of lawlessness, it's not talking about an individual. It's talking about a system. When that kind of culture of lawlessness kicks in, he said it's going to get very bad. People are going to declare themselves to be gods. And you need to brace yourself, he says. Don't be shocked. When things go bad, don't be shocked. And then he warns them while also giving them hope. That those who choose to believe, I'm sorry, those who choose to reject the truth will believe lies. And those who believe lies are going to believe more lies. Our neighbor, when we lived in West Virginia, was out working in his front yard. And I went over and, and we were helping him out a little bit and talking to him. And he talked to me about his brother who he's worried about because his brother was call, spending a lot of money on online psychics. Now, if you, you young folk, let me help you here. This was a period of idiocy you missed. In the 80s and 90s, before the internet, we had long-distance phone calls. And you had psychics advertised on TV that said, if you call me, you know, I'll tell you about your job or if the guy's cheating on you or the like. And, and, and it cost a lot of money. But people spent fortunes on this before the psychics got sued and were driven out of business, which you thought they should have seen it coming. But and the point... The point is, people believe stupid people on TV, and they gave them their money. And he said, they're spending all their money on, on, on that and on horoscopes and this, that, and the other. 
And I, we talked for a while, and then he stopped for a minute. I wish I could have said, I said this, but I didn't. He said this. He says, well, they don't believe in, in God. And I guess if you don't believe in God, you'll believe in anything. And I'm thinking, I, can, can I say that and claim? Because that's pretty good. Paul says, people are going to believe stupid things. It's going to get hard. And if they want to believe a lie, this is the piggy. Paul says, God's going to let them. If that's what they want to believe. Nobody is going to be drugs kicking and screaming into heaven. You don't want to go? You don't go. Take a look at chapter 2, verse 10. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they'll believe the lie and so that all will be condemned to have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. If you're thinking, why would God send the lie? It just means he's letting it go. He's not going to stop it. If that's what you want, God gives you a lot of free will. If that's what you want, okay. You have to choose to be Christian. Nobody's a Christian by accident. You have to choose. The Thessalonians were the first fruits of Paul's work in Europe. And those who go first are in danger. You know that, church. When you make a change and you're the first one in the area to do it, it's dangerous, isn't it? How about those of you in the military? You know what the most dangerous spot is? The front guy, the point man. In many squads, they rotate that job because there's a certain amount of time you can do it before you're really, you're out of luck. We're the point people for God. But the Thessalonians were the point people of God in Europe. And he says, you're, you're in the most dangerous danger. You're going to be up front and you're going to be taking fire. But remember this, chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. But we, always, but we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're first, but there's a benefit. There's a benefit to this. Sharing in the glory of Christ might only come after sharing in the suffering. Do you remember Jesus brought that up? When people said to him, we'd like to sit on your right hand and on your left hand, and we'd like to be right there with you. And he said, are you willing to go through what I've got to go through to get where I'm going? Are you willing to go through the suffering to get the crown? That's what that song, I cherish the old rugged cross, is all about. I'm going to exchange it someday for a crown. Because we carry a cross. Then Paul does something very sweet. He asks for their prayers. But it's not just sweet. It's informative as well. He says, pray that I be protected from wicked, evil people. Pray for those who, ta who taught you the scripture. Remember this, please, brothers and sisters. Pray for each other. And especially pray for those on point, those up front. Every day, pray for your shepherds here. Pray for the Bible teachers. Pray for the children's ministers. Pray for those that go up front and take the fire and produce such a loving place as this by 
working hand in hand with the Spirit, and then join them. Because you need to know this, your shepherds are praying for you every day. They love you. Pray for each other. And this is where it gets difficult, because anything you say sometimes is looked upon as political, and I don't want this to be political, but we need to talk about it. Throughout Scripture, we are told to care for the poor. Jesus talked about that more than almost anything. In fact, he talked about money and possessions and such more than he talked about any other single subject. And it was about the danger of money and the need to care for the poor. And yet, we don't handle our money well. And we, dis we devalue our money. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, 28, if you want to check it out, Ephesians 4, 28, that the reason we work, we are to work, the reason we work is so that we will have, so that we can give to those who do not have. That's the point of work. Now, I uh, happen to have an illustration here. Those of you listening on the internet, there it is. We don't have video yet. It's just a dollar bill. This thing is actually, of, in and of itself, completely worthless. It's a bit of paper with some art stamped into it. A little bit of a little line or something in there. That's, that's all it is. It means nothing. It's an agreement. The agreement, it means that this is nothing other than a certificate of work. You do a certain amount of work, you get one of these. You do more work, you get more of these. The people in Thessalonia, uh, Thessalonica were stopping working. And Paul says, you don't get any more. That's not the way this works. You are to work. In fact, he said something pretty harsh, it seems to us. Take a look at this in chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in other words, listen up. We command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Now, that's not politically correct. And I can get you in a lot of trouble. In fact, some people will say that's not Christian. God never said if you see somebody who is poor, make sure the law is changed to take money from somebody else to give to them. He said, you work and you give. You share. It's on you. Not a government program. It's on you. And I thank God that we've got people that we support here, like Chris Whitney, one generation away, who didn't look at that and say, well, you know, governments have programs, but rather said, Let's find a way to feed the poor. And how much did he give up to do that? It's amazing. But Christians, we work. 
And not only do we work, we honor those who work. We never look down upon a waiter or a waitress. We never look down on a fast food worker. We don't say that's just a fast food job. No, if they're working, that's an honorable thing in the sight of God, and we honor them. And we treat them with respect, as much respect as we would treat a surgeon. We treat everyone with respect. The Bible says, honor people, you work, and make sure nobody stays idle. Now, if you're in this room, or if you know somebody who is unable to work because of illness, other life situation, we're not demeaning you at all. In fact, that's why we work, is so we can help you. But those who can work and will not have to be corrected. And Paul is doing that. They were saying, well, Jesus is coming back. What's the point? He says, you work. Do you remember what Jesus said about that? He said, work, for the night is coming when no man can work. You work as if your time's running out. So we work. The absolute most inefficient way of caring for the poor is to hand off that job to government or to somebody else. That's our job. Let's do it. But to do it, it means we don't have to do without some stuff. But isn't it, isn't it true that you're not going to take it with you anyway? So why not disperse it now? By the way, if you're thinking that that's an advertisement for the Republican Party, you're wrong. Both parties do it. They may just do it at different speeds and in different ways. What I'm saying is this. Ignore the parties. Just do good. Be good. Work hard. Live honorably. Share what you have. That's the message in chapter 3. By the way, I'm a big fan of GoFundMe pages because that's just a way of saying, listen, I'm in, a, I'm in this situation, and you can look at it and say, I'd like to share. I'd like to help. But whatever it is, be a generous people. Driving us home, Paul says this. Just when you thought he'd said it the hardest bit. Remember, some are disruptive. They're not busy. They're busy bodies. Ooh. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. How hard is that? There's something called compassion fatigue where you can care only a certain amount of time. And he's saying, don't get tired. Don't get tired of doing the right thing. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. I don't think he could have been much plainer. Don't be idle. Don't be disruptive. Be busy, but not a busy body. Settle down, earn your bread, and never tire of doing good. And he was saying that to people who were being persecuted. He said, just don't, don't stop. Don't stop. Outlive them or outlove them. My wife and I were, had been in America for eight years, nine years, can't remember now. And um, a church in West Virginia wanted me to come over and work with them. And at first I didn't want to. But it, after a while it began obvious that this, this, nobody else is going to go to this one because they split every four years. It's like clockwork, and they're still feuding. So we finally said yes. We went over day one. Two women 
met us on the front steps, looking at us, glaring. The older one said, I know who you are, and I don't want you here. And I will do everything I can to make sure you don't come here, and if you do come here, that I drive you away. Looked over at Cammy. I said, let the games begin. <laughs> talked to Cammy quite a bit about that. And I said, our job is to outlove them or outlive them. Either love them to turn them around or live long enough to where we're doing their funeral, not the vice versa. We, we can't stop. You don't shy away. As Paul closes the book, he shows them what his handwriting looks like so that they won't be fooled again. By the way, he'd have to use writers later uh, because his hands wouldn't work, but he would then write a signature at the end so people knew it was legitimate. But he also says this in chapter 3, verse 16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. I want to ask you a question. Let's leave that up for a second if we could. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times. Has he not just told them that the persecution is going to get worse? Has he not just told them that they've got to work and not get tired? That they've got to warn disruptive people and on and on and on? How in the world can you say, and off, uh, you know, have a nice day at the end of it? Unless we have a kind of peace that doesn't seem to make sense to the world. Mark, would you bring your people back up and I'll hand you your microphone. Oh, you've got one. How can we have peace in every way when we know that our persecutions may increase? How can we have peace when sharing in Christ's glory may also require sharing in a suffering? Look at John 14, 27. If you'll please stand. As our admonition, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Brothers and sisters in Christ, those of us who have put on Christ in the waters of baptism no longer are part of this world. We have a different definition of peace. We have a different definition of everything. We are a different people. The world cannot change us or make us react to the latest noise, the latest news, the latest fear. We have the peace of God even in the midst of persecution because we have the eyes and the ear of our Father and his hand is on us. Amen, church? Amen. Be at peace.